What's up, guys? Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate List. You can find me on Twitter at an outrage you. And of course, on the other side of the mic is Mr. Jesse Bach. You can find him on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. Jesse, we had plans last week of exactly what was going to take place this week. And shockingly, even more information and nuance and fat to the episode took place and we didn't even know that it was going to you could say that you and I had polar opposite weekends in a lot of ways Jesse what did you do this weekend that was uh so different from maybe what I experienced so I went to my first big regional show um in quite a while uh for since since I was back in the hobby when I was a teenager, um, I went to the Philly show, which was uh, located in King of Prussia, just outside of the city. Um, on which was yesterday, uh, Saturday, June twelfth, um, and it was at, at first. I'm I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of an overwhelming show, just because of the sheer size and the amount of tables, the amount of crazy inventory that everyone had there nate i'm not kidding i saw i saw car i saw a lebron exquisite rpa um i saw some un unbelievable unobtainable cards at this show um there were auction there were a ton of auction houses i was blown away at how many auction houses were trying to get people to consign with them um it was just it was a crazy show and there were sellers that had um so many, so many crazy items that I, I'll, I'll probably never have in my life. Um, so it was, it was awesome to see some of that stuff there in person. Like I never thought I would see a LeBron exquisite RPA in like in right in front of me ever. Um, but, uh, some of the, some of the stuff that was there, um, I mean, dealers are dealers for a reason. They, um, you know, it costs, it costs money to, to be, uh, to set up at like a pretty big regional show. Um, so, you know, they, they're going to have to make their money back pretty quickly in order for, for the trip, for, for the trip for them to worthwhile, because a lot of these dealers, they're not local to, to Philadelphia or even Pennsylvania. So I, I met guys that came from, I met dealers that came from Florida, um, Washington, DC, uh, upstate New York, they, they kind of came from all over the place, all over the coast. So, um, they needed to make their, their travel expenses and their, and their, you know, uh, seller expenses to set up at the show worthwhile. So, um, some of the prices there, they're, you know, they, they, they try to sell cards for a little bit higher than eBay comps, even the cards that aren't super, uh, rare. So, what what I would try to do, Nate, I talked I talked about this um, with you a little bit ago, but um, what I would try to do to to try to gauge a seller's, um, I guess their their price, how fair their pricing is, I would I would try to pinpoint a card. I would scan the whole table, their whole their whole uh, case, and I would ask the their uh, asking price on a card that I know the value of that I've seen eBay sales within the last five to seven days of, um, 
and whatever number they gave me, I would, that's how I would know how, how fair, or maybe even how negotiable they are. And, you know, unfortunately some of them, they were, they were really asking for, uh, they were asking for a little too much, uh, above even what, what, even, and I found, I found cards readily available I buy it now on eBay for cheaper than what they were asking. So, um, I mean, I, 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 I see where they're coming from. Like I said, in terms of, you know, they, they have to make their money back relatively quickly. Um, and of course they, like everybody at the show was looking to, to do some sort of a trade or just straight up sell or do a trade cash deal. Um, they, they probably hear that so damn much that, uh, they just, to, to maybe make up for maybe funds lost that they that they would have taken um, if they just sold the card outright and they're getting a trade cash deal whatever um, maybe that maybe that's what's causing them to mark up some of their prices but um, I was very I was very disciplined with my spending um, I didn't want to be you know taken advantage of and you know I, I was pretty fair in negotiating with a couple of the of the a lot of deals unfortunately didn't work out but um i didn't come home empty-handed i came home uh, i don't have the card in front of me right now but um i'm not a big collector of him but honestly that might change soon just because it's it's absurd that i don't collect him already um i got a 1999 upper deck legends gold epic signatures randy moss out of 100 for a very reasonable deal i was i was very pleasantly surprised um, and the card is the card is in very good shape. It's raw, um, so it's not graded. But from what I saw, and I, from even taking a look at it at home, the centering looks great. It it looks very very clean in my opinion. Um, I saw BGS 9.5 sell a little under a month ago for over eleven hundred dollars, and a BGS 9 sold for over six hundred like six hundred seventy five dollars something like that. Um, so I was honestly expecting this card as as soon as I asked him, I'm like, okay, this guy's probably gonna say like six something. Um, he, but if it's close to a thousand, I'm just gonna back off. I'm not even gonna. It's not even worth my time just because he's already valuing this raw card as like a gem. Wow. And then he said three fifty. Yeah. And my, <laughs> uh, I I was I was honestly surprised there, and he's like, ah, you know what? Um, yeah, like even though it says three fifty, like whatever, I'll just I'll knock it down to three hundred. And I, I look at uh, my buddy that I brought with me, and I'm like, she's like, like, uh, I, like he could tell I got excited. So I, I think it over for for maybe a minute or so, and then I ask him uh, to bump it down to 250 just to see if I could get any more value. And yeah. If he said just no, I would have just straight up bought it for 300. Oh my gosh! Whatever. He knocked down another 30 bucks. He's like, all right, whatever. We can we can meet in the middle for uh, two. Uh, wow. Like we met for wow. like 270. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty damn happy about that. Um, I'm very much looking to grading this card with PSA as soon as, as soon as grading opens back up. But, but yeah, I would say, I would say the show, the show was a learning experience. And, uh, for I me, mean, imagine and that a phrase coming out of Jesse Bach, the great Jesse Bach, the, the, you know, the, the straw that stirs the drink of this show. Imagine the phrase. I didn't want to get taken advantage of at a card show. Like you are the most educated shark amongst the pool of these people. And this guy right here uh, very clearly was looking to just offload cards. But it this is a great example. Like if you're an experienced card buyer, there's there's two ways to live your life, right? There's the one way where you feel guilty 
feeling like you're taking advantage of somebody. And so you just are like, okay, it's a reasonable asking price. I'm not going to ask for any less. I'm just going to go with it. Then there's the other side where you're like, well, fuck that. I'm not paying sticker. This is already below sticker. This guy's clearly dropping his price. I'll just take a swing and see if he goes lower. And then he took more off. So you're just increasing your potential for profit here on this card. And, you know, I I don't know. I, I see guys like that and I wonder like versus sort of maybe his contemporaries in the room, like where does he rank in terms of like business savvy? Like clearly... Maybe he's not a guy attempting to make a living off these cards. I don't know because you would have more rigid pricing. But you saying, I didn't want to get taken advantage of. I'm like, come on, man. There's just no, nobody takes advantage of you in a room where it's it's card sales. But the one thing I was thinking, and maybe you can shed some more light to this. You have all these people that have some incredibly rare cards, incredibly expensive cards. And this might be an opportunity for them to at least expose what their holdings are. Because maybe somebody's coming to the show with deeper pockets looking to make a purchase. And they never would have known that Joe Schmo has this LeBron exquisite. Or somebody has this card. And it's an opportunity for them to network and go, yeah, look, this is what I want to have. If you want to make a future transaction, like let's exchange information. You've now seen that it does exist in my possession of this quality. And maybe that's part of the reason knowing that they may not make a sale, but it's hard. Imagine being somebody creating, you know, a a social media account right now, not even a card shop. Let's just say a collector. Like how do you necessarily really broadcast? Hey, I have these items without maybe something like this actually showing up and sitting in that room. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's where social media has taken us with cards, at least. Um, I think I'm taking your question uh, the right way. But um, I mean, social media is honestly a big way, unless if you're a dealer or a card shop owner or something, just to kind of showcase what you have. Um, it's especially with like the pandemic going on. Um, it's going to be it's it's very tough to um, actually show people in person now or like even even card buddies. uh kind of what you have or even like what's available if you're looking to sell. But I think that's kind of what that's, that's going to be a big help from card shows moving forward. Um, regional shows like people, tons of like OG collectors or, or, or guys that have even been in the hobby for the last five, 10 years and just have gotten such an insane collection, um, since their time back in the hobby, they're able to, go to shows and even if the cards aren't available for sale or for trade, they just meet up with some of their friends that they haven't seen for a year plus and they just show them their collection. They literally bring their collection with them with no intentions of moving anything just to show them off. Or they could, they can kind of, I'm sure there are collectors that even have like flip pieces or, or more like investment type pieces that, that they don't really collect and shows are a great way to see what other what other people, even if they're not necessarily dealers, um, to, to see what they have. So, um, that was awesome to see. Uh, I was even able to, to take a, like, take a look at some of some like customers making a trade together and, um, or, or, or doing like a, like a trade cash deal. But what was, what was crazy is like you, you could be next to like a 15 year old kid looking at the same case as you. And he could have like the most insane collection of the show like that. That's what was so mind blowing to me. I was at one table that had pretty high end football stuff. And I I was just looking, I had no intention of buying anything there. 
Um, and then all of a sudden the, the dude next to me who, um, I, I'll say he was, uh, I don't know. He, he didn't, you know, he didn't look like he, you know, was, was worth like a whole ton of money. He didn't have like, you know, bling on or whatever. Like he, he, you know, was very modestly dressed and all of a sudden he takes out a 2000 Fleer Tom Brady rookie auto BGS nine, five out of him, uh, out of his pocket. And, uh, and he just, he puts it right on the case for the seller and he's like, uh, you want to trade? Do you want, you want to make a trade or you want to buy this? And th like that was, that's, that's like, the most surprise I think I've ever seen a, a dealer be in person. Like he was just like, Holy shit. Like, dude, where did you get that thing? Like it was just, it was insane seeing a dealer just look like a collector for a second. Um, but yeah, I think, I think card shows are gonna, um, they're gonna bring a lot of people in the hobby together moving forward and create some, some nice uh, buy, sell or, trade or even sharing yeah the, the card show thing is awesome you went to a much bigger card show than the ones that i've attended locally thus far um but it's a cool experience it's difficult because oftentimes the sellers usually know their value the sellers are usually trying to make a profit they're listed a little higher than maybe what you might find going on ebay so it makes it difficult in that sense but jesse so you hit up a card show with a bunch of educated buyers, enthusiasts. There was an energy. I, on the other hand, had a completely different experience than you did. I, and I've, I have documented this. You can go to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Nate list. I've got a video about this. I attended a garage sale. My wife told me that there was a post on Facebook. Some guy claimed to have 20,000 sports cards. He was selling comic books. He was selling video games, arcade machines. I mean, it's, it's like literally what you're looking for in 2021 to make a purchase on. This guy had GameCubes, N64s, Playstations, whatever. Everybody wants all this old stuff. So it's going to be the next morning. And I know that garage selling is like an ultra hot thing to do nowadays. And when it's a garage sale that claims to have all of these unique types of electronics and collectibles, you know it's going to be even hotter. So I look at how long it's going to take me to get there, about 15 minutes away, set my alarm in the morning, and I decide I want to be one of the first people there. So I get there like 15 minutes early. There's already fucking people there. But there's not that many. And I walk in, and I meet the guy that's that's hosting this thing. His name's John. And I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? He goes, good. What are you looking for? I'm like, ah, sports cards. So, dude, he takes me to the back of the garage, and he's got these big shipping boxes full of cards. And each shipping box, he claims, holds like 5,000 cards. So, they're pretty big. And there's like 50 shipping boxes. They're sealed with packing tape. You don't know what's in them, though. So, that was a problem for me. I'm like, I can't open them. I don't know what's in them. I'm not going to take the fucking random random briefcase that might have a million dollars in it I, if I've got you know X in front of me, right? So... So he's got these card boxes off to the side and they're all complete sets. And this guy was a baseball collector. So everything from basically 86 to like 95 complete sets, you know, tops, Donruss, all this stuff. Right. And as you're well aware, across that gap, we've got guys like, you know, Bonds and Maddox and Glavin and Randy Johnson. All these dudes are in there. Right. So I'm talking about these boxes. And I decide I've been standing around 15, 20 minutes on eBay, opening boxes, like essentially double checking that, yes, these are complete sets, but I want to make sure that the gem card, the card that I'm here for is not missing from the box, right? Because 
99% of that box isn't worth shit. So I'm going through them and I'm verifying that they're all there. And it's been 15 or 20 minutes and still nobody's really shown up to this garage sale. It's like 8.30 in the morning. I'm like, nobody's here. I, To me, that's not that early. Okay, I don't think 8.30 in the morning's early, especially for something like this. But I'm going through these boxes and I start to get nervous. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, what if somebody shows up right now? And they're going to want to look at these boxes too. So I just make a sweeping claim. I go, sir. I go, I don't want the shipping boxes because I don't know what's in them. And I go, shoot straight with me. I go, is there anything worth a damn in these boxes? He's like, they're mostly common cards. And as I think back now, I'm like, what the fuck is a common card to this guy? Like now I'm wondering if there was like some great stuff in these because he builds out sets and anything that was extra, he goes, I just stuff them in the box. So there could be a shitload of stuff in these boxes. But anyways, so I basically tell him, what do you want for all these boxes? And we're talking... 50 complete sets. He goes, Ooh, ah, you know, there's bonds was that year, this, that he goes, ah, I don't know, 160 bucks. I'm like, what? yep. I'm like, okay, yes, absolutely. So 160 bucks, I get like 5,000 pounds of cards. And then the guy is talking to me more about baseball, telling me he's kind of a super collector. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, I, I dabble with cards a little bit, do some social media stuff. And he goes, well, what are you looking for, Nate? And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, man, I'm, I'm looking for some of the star players, Griffey, some other names. And he goes, well, listen, he goes, these aren't really for sale, but do you want to come inside for a second? And I'm like, ooh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I'll go inside. So we go off the garage and there's a room. He turns on the light in this room and I shit you not. It's like a 12 by 12 room, floor to ceiling. He's got shelves and every shelf has boxes with labels on the end that say the year, the series of the card, complete sets, everything. He goes, I've collected all these, right? And he goes, well, what are you looking for? And I go, I'm mostly looking for rookie cards. So he has a fucking box that says rookie cards on it. He pulls this thing out, lifts the lid, and we start looking at it. And every year, row by row, meticulously, series, year, player, he has every guy you can think of in raw rookie card form. Jesse, and I go through this guy's box, and I literally tell him, okay, I, I want to buy up like half of what you have here. So let me go through these. And I start to handpick out cards and you won't believe how much this guy tells me he wants for each one of these raw cards. I mean, you literally, your fucking head will explode when I tell you what the price of these cards were. But before I do, Jesse, we should talk about Underdog because Underdog is the sponsor of this show. Cliffhanger, that's a mid-roll. I know everybody's like, fuck you, Nate. So... Right now, NBA Pick'em games are live as we are in the playoffs. Pick any two to five player props to parlay together and you can win up to 20 times on your entry. They have over-under games where you pick whether a player is going to go over or under a given stat line in their game. There's rivals. Pick which player between the two of them will have more of a given stat in their game. Some players will be given a line boost indicated by the plus and the number below the picture. Not all states can play pick'em. It's not supported in all states, Jesse. Unfortunately, you can't play it. I can't play it. Go to Underdog. They have their rules set. They show the list of them. There's an active promo. $25 bonus cash for new players who deposit using the code UNDERWORLD. Guys, go do that. The NBA is, is still popping right now, even though LeBron James is in a body bag currently, Jesse. So I decide, okay, I want to buy some of these cards from this guy. So I start picking through his thing, and the first thing I notice is he's got a row that says Ken Griffey Jr. Now, obviously with the Ken Griffey, the one of the more impressive 
cars that people chase is the 89 upper deck Griffey, right? I asked him to look for it. He doesn't have the 89 upper deck. But for those of you watching on video, this guy pulls out seven Ken Griffey Jr. Don Russ rookies. So basically I say, hey man, I go seven rookies and they're all in incredible condition. They're in a slip. They're in a top loader. This guy meticulously cared for his cards. He just doesn't know what they're worth, Jesse. So if you had to guess what this guy charged me for seven very nice raw Ken Griffey Jr. cards, how much do you think I paid for the seven in total? Now, I don't know Griffey's market super well, but I would I would think, I don't uh, I don't know, 100 to 150 somewhere between 100 and $200. This guy wanted $10 a card. And here's the thing about it. Here's the shocker. Again, they're in such good condition. I mean, if these things grade out, and again, all you got to do is send in the whole lot. If one of them grades out, then you've made all your money back easily plus some. And I'm for sure in belief that there are some in here that are at least a nine. And I'm sure there's probably a 10 buried in this group because they're really nice and they're not the hardest card to grade. But then we keep going deeper and I'm looking at these cars. I go, oh shit, you got Barry Bonds. I'm like, well, how much do you want for these Barry Bonds? And this guy's in the middle of a garage sale, right? So suddenly we're looking stuff up. He's looking on eBay and he's being very cool about stuff. He's not like looking at graded prices. He's like, well, these are raw. So let's look at raw prices. And he's flipping around. And at one point, he gets so tired of looking. He goes, just take each of the bonds for $5 each. So I end up with three Barry Bonds Don Russ cards for $5 a piece. And again, dude, the corners look great. The surface looks great. I mean, these are good looking cards. $5 a card, you know it's a fucking win, Jesse. But then we get to the player we really want to talk about. Right? There's one player that hasn't been named right now that is one of the most popular players amongst all MLB guys that have played in the last 30 years, and that's Derek Jeter, right? Yeah, so Derek Jeter is actually extremely relevant right now because we, we unfortunately haven't had the time or opportunity to mention this on any of the anywhere last couple of shows, but he's got a documentary that's set to be released at some point in 2022. Um, the doc was announced on, on May 18th, um, I was trying to pick out a play to see if maybe there there might be some value right now um, with any of his cards. But um, although they are down from what their all-time highs were from anywhere between you know, highs of his cards were established between February and April. Um, uh, although they're down probably at least 50% for a majority of his more common cards right now, um, they're still not quite finished bottoming out. Um, there was, interestingly enough, there was a, like a, a week to 10 day uh, price spike after May 18th, um, just given the, the announcement of him getting a documentary next year. Um, so there was like a bit of a sell window, but it sounds, it, it seems like the prices are just dipping back down to where they were around May 17th, May 18th. Um, they might still dip a little bit more. So I might hold off on buying, um, too many, uh, uh, Jeter rookies right now, but once you see them bottom out and kind of stabilize in price for maybe a, a solid two, three, four weeks, and they're just, you know, they're staying in the same range, the same like $50 or so range. Um, that's probably when I'd be looking to buy some of this stuff because we've already seen this with the Tiger Woods documentary and with the crazy price spike that we saw 
up until like a couple days before the doc was released on HBO, I think we're going to see the same thing with Jeter inevitably. Um, but Nate, it sounds like, I mean, you, you kicked it to me to talk about why maybe Jeter might be relevant right now, but it sounds like you might have a story involving Derek Jeter as well. That's a good point. I forgot about this story. We had talked about this last week. Uh, so my dad, as when we were kids, my dad obviously funded my card collecting habit, right? We didn't, we didn't have money as kids. So my dad would spend hundreds of dollars a month. And then my mom would yell at him at the first of every month about the hundreds of dollars that he had spent the month prior. And this was a, this was a reoccurring theme of our family lifestyle. And so I was going back through my cards because I finally moved into my new place. I was opening up boxes of cards, trying to you know realize what the hell it was that we actually had because I haven't looked in a long time. And you and I started talking about basically the, the holy grail card for Derek Jeter in many cases is this 93 Jeter SP rookie, this upper deck SP. It's a super nice card. But there's an issue, right, Jesse? It's very, very hard to get a 10, and there's very few 10s in existence. It's very, very, very tough to get a good grade on. Even a 9. Even a 9 is tough to, to get on this card. Um, even The 9 pop is, is pretty low. The 10 pop is stupid low. So we're talking about... I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's we're, we're talking around mm. well over 10,000 of these cards graded um, in total. So the total PSA pop count, if you include BGS, I, I don't even know that that number, but it just gets stupid high. So the PSA 10 pop for the 93 SP foil Jeter is 21, which means uh, I, I like to look at um, a gem rates for cards just to, you know, if, like let's say you have a, a Jeter at home um, that you might want to submit for grading and it looks pretty clean. Um, so the gem rate, I've mentioned this on a show before, it's the it's the PSA 10 pop of a card divided by the the total PSA pop of the card. The Every single copy that PSA has ever graded of this card. So if you look at the the gem rate for uh, for this card, it's it is I'm not kidding. It's like 0.1 percent. So the PSA 10 pop of this card is 21 and with it being like this low, they really don't sell very often at all at auction. Um, and when they are available, they're available maybe, maybe twice a year. May, if, if that, like it's, it, they, these cards really don't pop up at all. And when they do sell, they can, they can sell for some, they, they seem to always sell for a record high every time it sells. Yeah. March 13th, PWCC, uh, they announced that they had a sale in one of their auctions, and it was a record-breaking sale, still to date the highest sale price of this card, $690,000, Jesse, for this Derek Jeter SP foil. $690,000. Now, there is some conflicting information because I I read you a quote where some observers believe that the buyer at $690,000 got a deal, but then you've got PSA's uh, sports market report guide list saying that this card in PSA 10 quality is valued at 160000 So where where should it be? Where's the middle on this? It's it, 
probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think the guy got a, a crazy deal on it, um, like a crazy good deal, I mean. So I don't think it was a value. Um, but I would be interested in uh, some uh, one company that um, one database company that does a really good job on predicting prices of lower pop cards is actually is card ladder we've mentioned them a couple times on this show before um it's they they have a relatively simple algorithm of maybe um com- they compare the whatever low pop card you're talking about or whatever the low pop card in, in interest and they compare that to a maybe more transacted version of that card or another far more transacted card for that player. And they kind of establish a ratio between the last time that that low pop card sold to the la- to the um, the sale price of that other that other card in comparison on that same day or around that same time to kind of establish a, a somewhat of a ratio between the two cards. So um, I, I would like to hear from them or take a look at their data just to see what uh, predicted price they would have put on that card at that time. But I'm sure this $690,000 transaction, um, I'm sure it uh, definitely broke Card Ladder's predicted price. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it, man. I mean, this is... This is one of the more sought-after cards. And the thing is, you're right. They have graded. PSA alone has graded more than 10,000 of these cards. But the thing is, they're such a tough grade that they are not necessarily artificially, but by process of just being a difficult card to pass through as a 10, they're becoming ultra-rare at the top. I mean... Yeah, yeah. The, the, the 10 rate is around... It's somewhere between 0.1 to 0.2%. <laughs> Okay, so with that in mind, Jesse, let's get back to this story. So (laughs) I'm going through these cards and I pull this book out and it's like when I see baseball and I see 93, I'm like, bing, Jeter. Like that's just in my head automatically. I'm like flipping through the pages. Fuck every other guy in this book. I don't care about anybody in this book. So we have a binder that says uh, upper deck 93 SP. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So I pull the book out of this box I flip it open. I'm like, tell me there's a Jeter in here. And I'm feverishly flipping to the back. And there it is. There's a Jeter in the book. This very card is in the book. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I'm like, huh? Wait, what? And I zoom in. I'm like, eh. I get my eye. I'm like real close looking at this card. I'm scanning the corners, like laser beam, tracing the corners. And I'm like, fuck, this corner's just a little nicked. And automatically I know it's out, right? This is the one of the toughest graded cards in the world. Like, there's probably one guy at PSA. They're like, John, get in here. We got one. It's just the one the one battle axe grader that's not giving, like, an inch on this card. So I know automatically that I'm just, like, majorly fucked on this card. So it looks really good. The surface looks great, but there's concerns. I don't think it's a 10. <laughs> Based on the ratio that Jesse has just displayed for you, it's very clearly probably not a 10. So, But I go downstairs to my dad. I'm like, Dad, I go... I go, he's hanging out over at the house. I go, check this thing out. I go, this card, I go, this is one of the rarest Derek Jeter cards like that you can get your hands on. I go, I can't believe that you you collected this set. And he goes, he goes, huh? He goes, is that the only one that you found? And I go, well, yeah. What do you mean is that the only one that I found? And he goes, well, back in the day when I would put together sets, I put together one for you and one for your brother. And I'm like, yeah. And I run. I'm like, I'm like, ha, ha, run back up the stairs. I'm just like tearing open boxes. I'm like, 
I don't care about any of these other things. And boom, there it is. There's another SP book. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, there's two books. I'm like, we got two tickets to the lottery. So I flip <laughs> through the book. I'm like, fuck every other guy in this book. And I'm looking, I'm like scanning, scan. I'm like, God damn it. There's a little tiny corner issue on this one. I'm like, so two, we have two. Most people don't have any. We have two. And both of them have just the most just, I'm like, fuck. Cause this one was better than the first one, but still to me, probably not a 10. So fast forward to yesterday. So I'm at the back of this room. I'm chatting with this guy and he takes me to his back room and he opens this box of rookies and I get to the tab that says Derek Jeter. And Jesse, there are a multitude of different Derek Jeters out there. Some are still very valuable, but they're not SP foil valuable. So I'm looking at some of these upper deck base top prospect ones. And here's two that I'm showing you in the camera right now. These are both in really, really good condition. I asked the guy how much he wanted. He's like, yeah, yeah, five bucks. So five bucks again, like, okay, already this guy's, he's just hemorrhaging money at this point. And I'm not course. He's, o- he's over eBay, eBay <laughs> comps. He, d- he doesn't even do it. He deleted the eBay app like no. 10 minutes before that. At this point, he's like looking over my shoulder at a guy that's looking at an arcade machine. He's like, yeah, whatever, man, five bucks for that one. And and then I'm like, well, hey, I'm like, what about these, uh, these tops Derek Jeter's, right? These are very, here's two that I'm holding up in the picture. This is a very well-known Derek Jeter card. I mean, a lot of people that know Jer- Derek Jeter rookies have seen this one. I'm holding two right here. Now the centering is a bit of an issue. And I bet if we go look at pop count on these cards, I bet centering has been a problem with these cards for a while, but nonetheless, anything from the nineties, he's like, yeah, those two Derek Jeter's he's like, ah, he's looking over me at his, whatever is like a big buck hunter arcade machine. He's like, yeah, man, five bucks for those also. Uh, and then I get to the SP foil. I'm like, holy shit. This guy's got an SP foil right here. Beautiful card, right? I could have three in my possession. And very clearly, based on you watching the video right now, I do have three in my possession. And this one's nicer than the other two. And I go, what about this Derek Jeter SP foil? And all of a sudden, he's like, huh? He looks down. He's realizing that there's an SP in there. And I'm like, wait a minute. This guy doesn't know shit about any other card in this binder or in this box, but the SP foil is the one that triggers him? And all of a sudden, eBay app gets opened again. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. Obviously, this guy woke up. So I am not influencing what he wants me to pay. I am not course correcting what he's asking me to pay. Listen, I am letting him. It's like a dynasty trade. If you're going to sell me Justin Jefferson for Denzel Mims in a future first, I will buy it. And I won't tell you that you made a big ass mistake. So the guy goes, ah, he's looking for comps. He's scrolling past graded tens, which are in nines and stuff, right? So he knows that this card is hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. And he's like, I don't know, man, if you just do 80 bucks, I think we're good. And I'm like, 80 bucks, this card looks nicer than my other two. That seems fair, right? I mean, if it's a seven, it's still worth more than that. So I'm like, deal, man, look, 80 bucks. So I end up with seven Griffies, three Bonds, five Jeters for roughly... $120 or so. And then I get all these other boxes for about $160. So, dude, just clean house on these cards, Jesse. And, uh, I mean, honestly, from what you've told me, Nate, about how the condition of that card looks right now, it has, it might, it very may well have a chance at a nine. And I think it could. If you're, if you're looking at a nine, you're looking at tens of thousands of dollars right there. Dude, that PSA 9, Jesse, again, we can use the market movers information. 
those those nines on average are selling for right about fifteen thousand dollars with a low of ten thousand. Even an eight has a low of five hundred with a ceiling of twenty nine. So. This one to me looks a lot like a nine. I mean, it is in great condition. And if it comes back a nine and I bought it for 80 bucks and I sell for 15 grand in the future, I mean, that is just like, ah, that's like the biggest, what a win. I mean, for, for that to even happen, but here's, here's the real kicker, right? Well, what about the rest of the box full of rookies, Nate? You didn't buy up the rest of the box. So I go home, I'm, I'm just like, I'm like shaking with like excitement and exhilaration. And I've had too much coffee and I'm like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? I go, I got to go on YouTube. I got to go live on this thing and talk to the people about what happened. So I go live and there's people in the chat. They're like, well, you didn't buy the rest of the cards. Why did you leave? What are you doing? And I'm like thinking back to the Pedro Martinez, you know, David Ortiz, Morberry Bonds, Ichiro rookies. And I'm like. Why did I leave? I had the golden goose, right? This guy was this guy was just like turning straw into gold in front of me and I left. So like an hour after my stream, which is multiple hours later, I call this guy. Oh, this is funny too. The rookie box, I said, "Hey, do me a favor." I go, "Will you go put that back in the back room?" <laughs> like cuz he was just going out to look at the arcade machines and he left it out. I'm like, "Dude, I go, I don't want these to sell like before we can talk again because he's going to do another sale in the future." So anyways, I called the guy later because we exchanged numbers, information, and I go, listen, man, I go, I want to make you an offer on the entirety of that rookie box. Like, I'll pay you X amount of dollars, whatever you want to do, you give me a price, but I want to buy everything that's left in that box because even these David Ortiz rookies are pushing $1,000. These other Bonds rookies in there are well over multiple thousands of dollars, like, Jesse, what scenario is there in existence where you would stumble upon a guy who cares about baseball this much, meticulously stored these cards, they're in raw condition so you're not paying some identifiable price, and he doesn't know what they're worth? Like, when does this happen? Not often. You're Nate, you're kind of encouraging me and getting me more excited to go to garage sales, especially garage sales that have cards than even card shows themselves. I mean, I had people in the chat, they go, do you normally go to garage sales? I go, no. I go, garage sales are typically a shit show. Like, you know, typically it's like crappy quality cards. I guess the real way to check is like, I looked at the photos that he used as advertisement and everything was like stored nice and neat in order. You're like, okay, maybe that says something about this guy, but you never know. It could have been a total shit show, but this is one of the luckiest scenarios ever, but I do have contact information with this guy. So I plan to do a little more business with him in the future because for God's sakes, like everybody's on eBay trying to buy these cards and this guy's just giving them away for free. Basically, Jesse five bucks a card. Jesus Christ. But yeah, because somebody was trying to buy the big buck hunter system and he's like, yeah, whatever, man, just, he's like, just take those cards. I don't even, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he's like looking over me. Like I'm holding Derek Jeter rookies and he's more worried about, you know, like whatever, whatever, like Nintendo 64, yo, green, lime green controller somebody wants to buy. He's like, oh, hold on. I gotta go deal with this guy. No, but he was a very cool guy. It was a great experience. Again, it was polar opposite from your experience because I was dealing with a guy who was inexperienced, not looking to get maximum profit out of their cards or just break even where you were dealing with very educated, rigid, you know, sellers that know what they have that realize that if you're not the buyer, there's a buyer in the future. 
I came in with money and this guy's like, well, what if nobody buys my cards, right? So it's just like a different mentality. If this guy knew what he had, he would know that these cards would sell like that in the blink of an eye. So very interesting situation, Jesse, but this does roll us into more 90s talk and you've done some deep diving yourself. We talked about some NBA earlier. We should talk about some NBA now. So I wanted to, I, I was a little disappointed that I wasn't able to uh, leave you guys with a Jeter play. So, you know, with, with this week's episode being more of a 90s themed episode, I figured, you know, I wanted to take a look at, um, at some prices of uh, superstars from the 90s or early 2000s and maybe guys that have uh, since the crazy uh, peaks and highs of eBay auctions and whatever auctions in February through maybe early May. Um, I wanted to take a look at some at, at some guys who maybe have dipped like 50% plus since then. And the one play that I, that I saw that was like, guys, I'm talking like this card is down 80% from what its peak was back in, I want to say like February or something. Yeah, February 6th. So um, I was always a big Shaq fan as a kid. Um, unfortunately I don't collect him. That's honestly probably going to be a mistake at some point. So I might want to make that change now that his prices are far down than what they were a couple months ago. Um, so I already like Shaq. You guys know my obsession with gold already. If, if you don't follow me on Twitter at planet underscore fatness or Instagram at flippity flip cards. Um, so I wanted to, yeah, nice little shameless plug there. Um, I wanted to take a look at the, the 1992 tops gold Shaq PSA 10 rookie. Um, this card has a relatively low PSA 10 pop at 502 um, compared to the, the total graded population uh, for PSA for this card. It's approaching 3,500. So you're talking 500 out of 3,500 uh, graded cards are PSA 10s. Um, so you're talking about a gem rate that's under 15%. Um, which is very low for for 90s cards. You should see some of some other baseball cards and how many tens of thousands of PSA tens that there are in existence for for 80s and 90s baseball cards. Um, meanwhile, there's only 502 Shaq PSA tens. The peak price of this card it sold via auction uh, on eBay in February, early February, for ten thousand eight hundred and twenty dollars. That that sale, I I I got that sales data from uh, Card Ladder. Uh, card ladders database this card last sold uh what's now four days ago on june 9th for just over twenty one hundred dollars compared to ten thousand eight hundred and twenty dollars as a february peak it's down over 80 percent right now at this point and i just wanted to at least have some sort of a realistic range for um you know maybe if, if anyone I, I mean i'm trying to go after some of these cards right now since they're available on ebay but um, I, just in case if, if you guys wanted to even, even look at flipping a card like this, um, even if you don't want to hold it long-term, um, I think, you know, it, in terms of my experience, when I flipped cards last year, um, much more frequently than I do now, um, I wanted to at least, you know, get close to doubling my money. So if we're talking about a rel like a, a conservative price range of $2,000 for a PSA 10 right now of that card, you know, maybe around $4,000 would be a decent goal if you'd be looking to flip in like the short to intermediate term. So I wanted to look at the number of sales on eBay um, that occurred between um, January and March that 
that occurred at or above four thousand dollars, and there there were twenty nine such sales that that ended over four thousand dollars. So those are you pr pretty much anybody who was holding that card was able to profit pretty handsomely. Like it's not like oh you just had this you know all of these sales were going around three k three k three k and then you you get this insane blimp of $11,000 and then they go right back down to 3k. No, this card was selling regularly for over $4,000 um, as as a realistic price point. So um, I think right now is honestly not the worst time to buy a shack. Um, I've been a little, I've, I've been kind of sitting on this for a couple weeks. I haven't picked one up yet. Um, I was more curious just to see if any, if any that popped up via auction, if any of them dipped below 2000 and if they dip below 2000 i would have been all over them no matter how many no matter how many dipped unfortunately none of them have dipped below 2000 so we might even see a bottoming out point right now which is kind of a time when i might be looking to buy a card like that um so it's just something that's been on my on my um watch list and i'm i'm seeing a couple more auctions of that card pop up and they're not dipping below two thousand dollars so if you guys have the capital for it if you guys are shack fans if you guys are gold fans um it it might be a card worth looking at i was a huge shack fan growing up we've talked about it i have a whole book of shack cards i went back and looked i unfortunately don't have the gold i've got the base of this card um and the base of that card i think is what peaked around now, uh, three thousand, four thousand, uh, seventeen seventy-five, a little under two. Seven. Okay, so it's so it's not close to the ceiling of of this gold, even in a ten. So it's a great card to have. Shaq is uh, clearly a Hall of Fame talent player that's got a lot still ahead of him. He's on TV. He's relevant. He's in movies. We've seen him in all the Adam Sandler movies. So he's a guy that culturally is going to stay at the forefront of all this for a long time, right? So he's one of the perfect players to stake a share in and Jesse got just gave you guys the most ridiculous play right here. I mean, he literally gave you a car that has a ceiling that's been five times the number that it's sitting at today. So it's, it, there's no way you lose on this card in the long run. We've had people reach out to us and say, Hey, look, I've got a budget of $5,000, $10,000. What should I invest my money in long-term that I'm going to make a profit on? And these are the exact type of cards and type of calls that will help you get there, and we hope to help you make more of in the future. Hint, hint, that might be a little secret drop there. But this is a great play by Jesse. Um, you guys should really look into this. Shaq is a player you will not lose money on. That's not happening. We're at a floor now, and it's not happening, Jesse. Let's get to a couple patron questions before we get out of here. Guys, if you ever have a question for the show or you want more card content, like the Auction Hunter Friday stuff that Ethan has been putting together. These are sick articles, detailed, hand-guided tour through one player a week, different tiers. If you want to get your hands on cards, he shows you how to get there and make money to make you know, more money in the future on cheaper prices. Patreon.com forward slash I'm Outrage. Let's start with Lane. Man, Lane is, is one of my favorite people in this world. We do talk on the side a little bit. One of the best guys. Salt to the earth, they would say. Salt to the earth. He goes, if you could both pick one Holy Grail card for your collection, whether you already own it or you would like to own it in the future, what would it be? And Jesse, I think you and I might have the same card. What's yours? Um, it's not quite. All right. So the, the card that you're going to that you're going to think of is is probably number two for me. Um, number one, um, I started I, I came back into into cards uh, primarily. I, I was trying to 
hold LeBron long term, and I, I, I still am in that boat, and I still collect LeBron. Um, so probably number one holy grail for me would be the 2003 Topps Finest uh, Gold X Fractor One of One. Um, I know I just I I'm never gonna get that card. Um, if you guys wanna wanna know who owns it, um, you could follow him on Instagram at uh, I believe his his um, handle is at Bob M Track. Um, if you guys want, if, if, especially if there are any LeBron collectors out there, your jaw is just going to drop seeing his collection. He has the best LeBron James collection in the world. It's not even close. Um, he has that card. He's never going to let go of that card. I know he's, he, like, you know, we kind of talk about coffin cards like here and there, like, oh yeah, this is a coffin card. Um, yeah, I'm never letting it go. Or like, you know, maybe like right before, right before I go down in the grave, that's when I'll pass it on to my kids. He actually might be buried with this card. So I don't think anyone's going to ever own this card, but that's my holy grail. Yeah. So I, I think that, and yeah, anything that's one of one takes it to a whole nother realm. I mean, realistically, your grail card should kind of be a, like a one of one in a lot of ways because it would be nice to own something that nobody else owns. But at the same time, when the price starts to get to this level where few people in the world can really even play in this game, it also makes it an exciting card to own. And the one that I was going to talk about, which is your number two, is the 2003 exquisite LeBron James rookie patch auto. Jesse, you just saw one, didn't you? Um, yeah, I saw I saw one or two at the show. Another type of exquisite from from 03. But yeah, I saw one at the show, and I just um, I, I brought my one buddy who's who's really not into cards, but I just kind of wanted to, you know, he wasn't doing anything, and I just kind of wanted to see his reaction at seeing some of these cards go for tens of thousands of dollars, and him calling us crazies for for uh, putting up that type of money. But um, he saw my reaction when I saw that card. Like I had to take a picture just cause it was just, it was that surreal to see that type of card in person. Um, I'm probably never even going to have the chance to hold it, but I just, I feel lucky enough that I was even able to see a copy. Yeah. These cards go, go for prices that are so far beyond what I would be capable of spending. Again, if, if I had the money, I would do it because we're probably going to see these cards continue to go up from here over time, even though in people's eyes, you're like, well, how do these go up from being hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars already? Well, they weren't that much when they started. That's how it happens. Uh, Taylor Trusty has a question about pop count, and we kind of talked about this a little bit off show, so feel free to take it away. But how do pop counts relate to value? For instance, if there is only one or two of a card rated at 10 but several dozens to hundreds rated lower of the same card is the total pop count that matters most or is the pop count of the individual rating what matters more definitely the the pop count of like basically the the single grade pop count matters as opposed to the as opposed to the total pop count um the, some cards that that come to mind uh for me in a case like this is something like the the opg psa 10 gretzky rookie um, only th what only two of them exist um, and that and whenever that card sold um, in recent years it sells for millions of dollars and even to an extent um, the Jeter SP foil is kind of in that in that case just because you're talking about you're talking about thousands of PSA eights and sevens and only 21 tens so nobody's gonna 
nobody really wants a card that has a total PSA population count of like 20,000 or 10,000 or something. But if, if the PSA 10 count, like if there's only 20 PSA 10s, yeah, people are going to want that PSA 10. So definitely the single grade matters as opposed to the, to the total uh, PSA population count. Yeah. And I think we talked about this with cards from the nineties. Many of the cards that were produced right out of the factory were probably never going to be a 10, just purely based on centering and issues like that. So when you see a massive discrepancy between the amount of 10s available and anything else, sometimes it could just be a production issue right off the bat. I mean, outside of somebody grading it heavily, because we know people take care of their cards. So sometimes it's not necessarily condition. It's actually just the way it was manufactured, which makes it more difficult. There was a question from Dave Steffi that was tacked on here. He basically says, I have a follow-up on the pop count thing. With PSA opening up back soon, which cards or sets or players will have big increases in pop counts in the short term? Jesse, we've been in this hot market for so long. Do you think that we've seen what we're going to see from 90s-type cards already? Like the submissions have been sent in, but maybe newer, the most ultra-modern cards right now might be getting submitted once things open back up? Um, I think right now we're going to for, uh, all right. So let's say today's June 30th, um, tomorrow PSA opens back up on time, July 1st. Um, I think once they have their pop counts updated and they ship all of the graded cards back to us, we're going to see a lot of cards from 2017 on, I think it's going to be majority 2017 on that are going to, we're going to see pretty substantial increases in the pop counts. I think in the nineties, um, it's tougher to like, I'm sure there are plenty of people that submitted cards from their mom's basement or something that, that they just recently found during the pandemic. Um, it's going to be tougher for those cards to gem, um, just because of how old they are. So I don't think we're, we're going to necessarily need to worry about, um, the PSA 10 pop counts of older cards. I'm sure they'll, they'll go up. There will be, you know, like cards, like just like in your scenario where the owner took really good care of them. or just like, just as soon as they opened it from a pack or a box, they just, they sleeved it up and that's it. Like they just never took them back out until now. Um, so in those circumstances, yes, the PSA 10 pop counts will go up in the, in the slightly older cards, but modern was on such a damn high last year and going into this year that that's going to be that that's essentially what people were looking to grade the most just because you, we were seeing modern price, especially like ultra modern prices, like 2016, 2017 on just going like you could buy a PSA 10 version of Prism X or whatever one month. And then it triples by, you know, three months later or something. So, um, and PSA has been, they've had a lot of those types of cards in their backlog for just about a year or maybe over a year. Um, so I think we're going to, we're going to see modern pop counts, especially for, for Prism, um, probably Prism, uh, somewhat select and optic as well. We're going to see all, all three of those pop, pop counts go up from 2017 on once PSA clears the backlog. So Dave has another question here. He says, I opened up some 2021 Panini legacy and contenders boxes. He basically says that he has second round rookies, first round rookies, he goes, is it worth grading the first round guys and maybe not the second round guys? Uh, or is it only worth grading their rarer stuff? Um, 
I mean, this seems pretty straightforward, Jesse, but I would say if, if they're a guy that has any upside, if it's a quarterback and it looks like it's in good condition, it would be worth grading. If it's a player that we know at this point has a ton of upside in the league, it's worth grading. But we know in fantasy football there are hits in all different rounds. So how do you play this one? Um, Panini Legacy, uh, believe it or not, is kind of a lower-end product um, just because it's it's one of the first sets that's that's released from Panini um, for the new NFL season. So it doesn't it doesn't hold a, a, a ton of value. If anything, at the show, I actually saw like I saw Panini legacy stuff pop up um, just because that's what, that's what people are familiar with now. Like people, people bought and ripped score boxes. Now people are doing the same with legacy. So their value is very short lived. Um, I honestly would probably stay away from, from grading them um, and try to try to profit as much as you can right now like i'm i'm seeing i don't know if you pulled any autos from there but i'm seeing justin herbert uh i'm sorry not justin herbert trevor lawrence uh score autos go for a good amount of money right now um nate you might have even showed me one within the last week or so i don't i can't remember if it was graded but it went for like a thousand dollars so um for a sticker auto so um these cards are hot right now um they're they'll probably you'll see the peak all-time prices for those types of cards and sets right now, like right before more modern sets or, or the more relevant sets start to be released as the season's going on. Um, so if I were you, I would probably just try to, it's what, you know, whatever you're comfortable doing, whether you want to auction them off and you're okay with just getting whatever for them and try to recoup your money for the box. Um, or, you know, whatever you want to do, or just list them as buy it now. And I'm sure there's going to be people that are interested just because that's the set that's available uh, for NFL. So I'd probably stay away from grading them personally, but that's just me. So we got a question here from Hart Foche, one of the best names amongst the group. Uh, he says, if I've got a card that I want to get signed by a person at a game, an athlete at a meet and greet or something like that, how does that affect the value and do I need to send it to a grading company to verify the signature? Or if I have a decent card, don't do that. Like a PSA rookie of Lamar Jackson, obviously that would be a card that's already slabbed. Um, yeah. So if somebody gets one signed at a meet and greet, we know that you can submit them to PSA and they will authenticate that signature. But is, I mean, getting any card graded that helps the value, right? Or any card signed would help the value, right? Um, I, at first, if I got this question last year, I'd say no, don't do it. Just because um, I saw, if, if anything, like last year, I saw uh, cards signed at like events or something. And then after the fact that they were signed, they were graded. Even if the card got a 10 and the auto was authentic, I would see them sell for the same price as just like that same base card. So, um, I've seen that slightly change more recently, um, where some cards that were signed at like auto that were, um, you know, signed by the athlete at just like a, whatever signing, um, they were at, I've been seeing those cards sell for a little bit more. So it's, I mean, there is a play there. I think, I think there is some money to be made there if you want. Um, especially if, if the player doesn't sign super often, um, that, that might be a play, but uh, your upside, I, I think you could, depending on the card, 
Um, you can add some value to it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see it. I, I've seen, I've seen instances where that has actually increased the value of the card as opposed to just the regular base version of the card. Mm. I mean, a, a card that has no autos that were ever manufactured, it does necessarily add into the pool a card that differentiates from any of the rest, which would seem to make it more valuable. I mean, especially if you go in for dual authentic, you know, dual grading. So you're getting the card physically graded for quality of card. You're getting it graded for autograph, you know, DNA. And if it comes back, if it came back at dual 10, I mean, I would imagine that makes it worth more. But again, how many cards come back at 10? How many autographs come back at 10? They have to verify it. I know my dad is, he's bought, autographed baseballs over the years from um, dealers and he sent them in for authentication and they've, some of them have actually been denied. So who who knows? This is a whole nother topic. I mean, literally submitted multiple Joe DiMaggio balls that he had signed. Two or three came back, yes, graded, authenticated. One came back rejected. And literally me and him have been like sitting side by side, like scratching our heads, like, like Neanderthals were like, I don't see it. What's the difference? Where, where's the, di-? like we're holding them side by side, like looking left and right, like a tennis match. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't know which one of these is not real. So, I mean, certainly worth it. I think it would be maybe a rare case that it would get rejected. But if you are getting a card signed, probably doesn't hurt to have like a video of it getting signed just so you can use that as proof if it does get rejected. But the reality is, that they have to validate the signature no matter what. Because you could have a video of anybody getting a ball signed or a card signed. Forge it yourself and send it in and they'll go, oh, I've got video of it, but that doesn't mean shit. But if you are going to argue that, hey, this was actually signed, then it might be in your benefit. But nonetheless, last question comes from Reed. This is about National Treasures. Is there a way to predict the floor for higher-end sets like National Treasures for NFL busts? For example, I want to collect Marcus Mariota because I'm from Hawaii and would love something like an NT that's serial 15 or lower, but most seem overvalued, running above $1,000. Would I need to wait till he's out of the league or will his NT cards drop the more he sits on the bench or do lower pop NTs generally stay over a grand? Not necessarily um, for the last part of that question. Uh, I, the quarterback market's different than skill position players, but I've seen, I've seen PSA 10 national treasures, RPAs for skill position players go for well less than a thousand dollars. And I'm talking, you know, guys on kind of on the scale of like an Allen Robinson. Um, so very, very relevant in today's football and fantasy football terms. Um, with Mariota, that's tough. Uh, I would kind of, I, I would obviously hold off if you're if you're talking an NT RPA is um, whatever it's out of fifteen or out of ten or whatever, and it's still up on eBay for a thousand dollars. It's honestly probably just a matter of time before one becomes available for auction. Like people, people need money, um, and they'll even even if uh, there are collectors at heart. Um, even if the seller is a collector at heart, but you know, they don't want to let go of some of their like higher end stuff, but maybe the, the lower end stuff, they'll just kind of let an, an auction on eBay take its course and whatever it sells, that's whatever it sells at. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be a little bit patient, just kind of, you know, save it on your watch list. Um, 
the card will probably continue to dip as his career goes on, unless if he has like a Ryan Tannehill level resurgence, but um, which I don't know. I don't know how, how possible that is truly for him. And I used to be one of the biggest Mariota fans out there. Um, so yeah, just be patient. And um, it, it's, it'll probably dip before he goes out of the league. So if, if that gives you, gives you any, uh, any comfort. Well, there you go, Jesse. We've run down all the questions. We hit up 90s topics. You guys follow Jesse on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. Follow him on Instagram at flippity flip cards. Guys, we'll be back next week with uh, some other very, you know, spicy topics that Jesse and I have been going back and forth on. And uh, inevitably, one of them will blow your mind. So we'll see you guys next week on Clear the Cash. Thank you.